<laughs> Freedom of speech, motherfucker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Radical Lens. I am your host, Duke Wilder, and I've got a very special guest today, a representative from the Libertarian Socialist Caucus of the Libertarian Party. His name is Johnny, and I thought we would just have a little conversation about differences in pretty much the different sects of the Libertarian Party, figure out what the Libertarian Socialist Caucus believes, and just stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Johnny. Well, let's see. I've been a libertarian, at least philosophically, since 1995. Um, I've gone through, I suppose, a variety of different ways of looking at it. I came back uh, to actively being part of the Libertarian Party uh, in 2016 to vote for uh, Gary Johnson. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about the core beliefs of the Libertarian Socialist Caucus within the party. Well, the core belief, I would say, is... Uh, the same as the core belief of most other libertarians uh, okay. self-sovereignty self free markets uh non-aggression principle stuff like that uh where we differ is that a we're an anarchist caucus okay so our end goal is not a libertarian state our end goal is no state and we believe that the what could we call the fiat title or what some people call private property rules would require so much enforcement and inequality that to try to have those without a state would be to essentially recreate the state into some sort of neo-feudalism. Okay. So that if you're going to have a no state scenario with liberty, you would need to have radically different property rules. Not no property rules, but different property rules. Okay, could you explain those property rules a little bit? Well, the ones that are most in vogue right now, I believe, would be some version of occupy and use. So that that would, at the very least, cut down, if not eliminate, absentee property ownership and renting. Okay, so essentially you you believe in, in homesteading and stuff like that, but if not currently in use, it would be up for grabs again? Well, yes, but not currently in use uh, is a very, very fuzzy definition. It's not like if you go out for a cup of coffee, someone can just start living in your apartment, something like that. Mm -hmm. Not in use should have certain guidelines and leeways that would most probably be community um, identified and stuff along those lines. Just like any sort of interpersonal rules would be community identified in a post-state scenario, whatever libertarian you're talking to. But yes, if you have intentionally abandoned the property, which would include uh, absentee ownership, then it should be considered up for grabs. Okay. So... So let's say like a, like a six-month or one-year period, 
and that's just what the the community decided as a as a whole that that was the cutoff date and i don't when by community decided i don't mean like the local city council uh voted on or anything by community decided i mean that whatever there's an entire literature about how libertarians would handle a post-state scenario and most of the literature includes uh protection agencies arbitrators free market law that sort of thing in those scenarios which are very readily available and widely read there are differences in local decisions what counts as theft and the severity of theft might be different under some jurisdictions and others and this is not set by politicians by voting but just by the local entities handling the law so in that same sense what counts as abandonment might be different in different uh regions but not set by voting but by different decisions made by those handling the law or dispute resolution would be a better way of putting it i suppose okay so essentially this this community that people are voluntarily allowing themselves to be a part of mm -hmm. um it would it would be a like a voluntary community kind of like um some sort of a a commune of sorts no 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 no, no, no. It doesn't require a commune or anything like that. I mean, every... I mean, if you go, if you look into anarcho-capitalist writing, they mm -hmm. have protection agencies, and they have arbiters, and they have defense agencies, and they have common standards of dispute resolution that arise from individual decisions. That's, that's pretty much universal for a post-state scenario. Mm -hmm. Our, we're just stating that we think a good property system to arise out of that would be occupying use okay we're not suggesting that just that, that should be enforced to the exclusion of anything else just, that's what we're promoting as a good system okay yeah that makes sense so are there any are there any other differences that might be um separate that's... from the mainstream well, the other main difference, but I suppose there are two other main differences. The other, uh, one of the other main differences is more of a difference in emphasis than anything else. We think that a financial system that, and resource allocation system that would go along with the uh, occupying use property, but a properly freed finance system would allow people to have the resources to not be trapped or not to engage if they want to in a employer employee relationship we prefer okay. co-ops to traditional employer employee relationships we think that the only reason why there are so many traditional hierarchical um, business relationships is because their means to not be in them have been denied people due to essentially financial shenanigans Mm -hmm. The way banking and money and loans and interest have been set up for the benefit of the connected rather than others. Now, every libertarian goes on about the banking system and how it should be changed, stuff like that. But a lot of them see the end result as still being what we have traditionally with uh, large businesses and bosses and employees just a little bit better. We would counter that's a bit vulgar libertarianism that if you actually did free the financial system the result we suspect would be much much different and what we're pushing would be a series of co-ops 
Okay. Um, the way that I tend to look at it is when I look at employee-employer relationships, I don't necessarily see it as hierarchical only because when you have two people like that working together, you have, it's, to me, it's sort of still a, a horizontal relationship because the employer needs the employee to work for him and the employee needs the employer for the revenue. So the employee well, has the potential to make demands and meet each other on different sides and it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Well, that, by that definition, it's very hard to think of a hierarchical relationship. Right. So, I mean, like, I mean, do you have an issue with all hierarchical relationships, even if they're voluntary? I have an issue with most hierarchical relationships in that I don't think they're as efficient as horizontal ones. Now, me having an issue with them does not rise to the uh, level of, I think they should be abolished or something like that. I mean, I have an issue with some music. doesn't mean I think it should be abolished. But I do think that a lot of the supposedly voluntary hierarchical relationships are accepted because there's no real other option. And it's not question of there's no option because there's just no option it's a question of there's no option because there has been a effort made to remove other options mm -hmm. so do you think that the, those options that are being removed are because the state goes in and remove those options for people uh, like if, if we were to be in a stateless society, mm -hmm. people would not only have the option to work for an employer via a mutually beneficial relationship, but they would also have the opportunity to create their own business and hire other people with contracts and have other mutually beneficial relationships, or they'd be able to... Uh, trade things on an individual level, or they'd be able to create um, their own wealth with having their own farm living self-sufficiently or just, you know, giving all their stuff away. I feel like there's a lot of different options for people if the state were to be abolished than, than how it is now with that, with the sort of state capitalism that we have. Right. Uh, but would you acknowledge that there would be a lot more options to be opened up if there were to just be a pure capitalist society? Well, I wouldn't regard that as a purely capitalist society. Okay. That, therein lies, uh, I suppose, another big difference. Uh, there is this folk belief among libertarians that there is socialism, which means state control, and there is capitalism, which means private enterprise. And there's a spectrum between those two and those two of the poles. We don't, that's not the definition that we use, and it's not the definition many other people use. You can have um, anti capitalist free trade. For us, capitalism, not trade, not free trade, not market anarchy, but capitalism is defined by the existence of private property, like that fiat title system I mentioned before. Mm 
and a finance system that encourages and subsidizes employer-employee relationships. Those are the hallmarks of capitalism. When we say anti-capitalist, that's what we're anti. Not trade, not free markets. That is what we're anti. Okay. But, I mean, you were saying that you're anti those hierarchical, hierarchical employee-employer relationships mm-hmm. um, because, in a sense, sometimes people don't have another option but the way that i look at it is that each individual person when they're born no matter what the circumstances has an obligation to provide for themselves by their own means and the way that they can choose to do that is to voluntarily associate with other people so in a stateless society where they have we're in a stateless society where they have this uh, free roam of options. I feel like they wouldn't be coerced into that type of relationship, like you're saying. Well, I agree. I agree with you. I I, I agree. Without absent the state, there would not be that coercion. But this is where it comes down to more of a matter of emphasis and, I suppose, prefiguring. Mm-hmm. When you say that, a lot of people think, okay, there is no coercion. And yet, lots of people will still choose to be um, employed in employer-employee relationships. Maybe not as many, but most would still. Life would continue on largely as it has done before. Whereas we say that, absent the state, and absence a state-enforced finance system that removes uh, so many options from people, we would have a lot more co-ops and many of the large hierarchical businesses and corporations would simply not exist. You'd have no more Walmart. You'd have no more Coca-Cola. You'd have no more Disney. All those things can only exist because of the state. Okay. So you're saying once those options are opened up, most people won't choose to have the employee-employee relationship that'll be a lot more co-op relationships? And obviously, it's a speculation on my part, just as a speculation on anyone's part, what would happen in a post-state relationship in a scenario. But that's what we're advocating, just as anyone would advocate for something in the future. That's our position is what we see as a very good idea. Okay, so what is it about these co-op relationships that you think would be more beneficial to society or wealth creation than a traditional employee-employer relationship. Robert Anton Wilson once said that the only true communication can happen between equals. Communication between a superior and a subordinate simply disrupts the signal too much to be considered truly effective communication. You uh, don't tell your underlings what is actually going on. You tell them what you want them to hear. Mm-hmm. And the same is true uh, when you're talking to a boss. You don't tell them the unvarnished truth. You tell them what they want to hear. Now, maybe there's actual information communicated in that, but there's always a sense of uh, dominance, display, submission, stuff like that. So if you have a set, uh, a, an ecology of horizontal relationships, you have better communication because you're communicating between equals. And that can only lead to uh, 
better efficiency of the market and better innovation, in my opinion. Okay, so are you? I, I always hear this um, the as in like the workers own the means of production, right? Uh, is that something that that you get behind? I, I would assume so. With this, well, yes, that's what a co-op is: the workers mm -hmm. owning the means of production. That's all it means. Okay. Now, you can. Um, here's a, a good test for uh, telling what kind of socialist you're dealing with. Okay. If they say public um, ownership of the means of production, well, that's an authoritarian socialist. If they say worker-owned, as that's where you're uh, getting the more libertarian socialist. It's not a question of the workers, as in one large group, owning mm -hmm. all the means of production. It's the a question individuals. of the individuals who work at that job owning the means of their own production, yes. How do you feel about some uh, people who advocate for the seizing of the means of production, as in, like, with within like a company pretty much taking it over i mean i i i mean I, after our conversation so far i i wouldn't suspect that you'd be behind that would be behind that because well uh here i have to defer to Mar murray rothbard mm -hmm. who while he went very bad later in his life had some good ideas in the beginning mr rothbard said that any corporation any company that did more than 50%, I believe, I haven't read this quote in a while, but I believe it was more than 50% of their business with the state or got more than 50% of their revenue from the state should be considered open season as far as homesteading or if you don't like homesteading, seize, seizing goes. Mm -hmm. That was his view. Now, when you look at all of the large corporations today, uh, is hard to think of any large business that does not receive a large amount of subsidies and protections and special deals from the government, right. whether directly or indirectly. They're all in bed with the government. There is no John Galt Incorporated out there. Mm -hmm. So if you accept that, and if you accept that um, Rothbard's uh, cutoff date, then while we may be squeamish about it, mm -hmm. it's hard to philosophically be against the seizure or let, let's, let's use a better word, the homesteading of a lot of businesses all over the world. Mm -hmm. I can't... It's hard for me to summon a philosophical defense of, say, Disney. How much money does Disney make off of intellectual property? Uh, like all of it, probably. Exactly. Why should that be distributed the way it is being distributed? That is definite. That is the most blatant uh, example of the government giving special preference to very few people that I can think of, aside from you know weapons dealers and congressmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm only thinking of Disney because I'm about to see the Avengers after this interview, and I'm quite excited about it. But oh anyway. my god, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, and this is how we know we're truly principled. We're arguing for the destruction of the things we like. 
<laughs> but when it comes to seizing, I mean, it doesn't, it sounds bad, but I can't think of a fiscal reason. If you accept that dealing with the government to a large extent largely invalidates your own property claims, why isn't seizure a option for most workers? I definitely see where you're coming from there, especially it's really difficult. You know, I hear a lot of libertarians when um, Twitter starts doing certain things like uh, banning certain people from speaking and stuff like that uh, and being like, okay, this is a private business. They should be able to do what they want to do. But then when you come back and, and you start thinking about it a little more and if if these private businesses have any type of dealings with the government or get any type of special privileges or do any type of contracting, they've given they've been given special privilege. They've essentially had part of the state rubbed off on them. And if we're going to try to hold the state, if it must exist, to an objective standard for the rights of everybody, I don't see how it's ridiculous to try and hold a company like Twitter who obviously has these dealings with the government to that same objective standard same thing with like Google or Amazon or, or any of those huge corporations that obviously have very large dealings with the government so I definitely understand where you're coming from well I, I would actually I would argue the opposite of that okay I I have no problem with, well, I have a problem and it doesn't go far enough And what Twitter has done in many things. I just don't, I mean, let's say, for example, if the workers of Twitter seized it, if they kicked Jack out, mm -hmm. and they turned all of Twitter into one giant co-op, I don't think that that would lead to an increase in, uh, neo-confederacy or alt-right uh, activity on Twitter. I mean, they don't want that. A lot of the um, employees of Twitter are whistleblowers as to what Jack is doing to the company. If the workers of Twitter seize Twitter, you would see more people kicked off. Okay. But I, I, I get what you're saying there. I'm just saying that when when you have companies that deal with the government as much as these huge corporations do mm -hmm. it's difficult to separate them from the state to not hold them to the same standard that you would hold the state to you get what but i'm that, saying i i understand that impulse but that that impulse leads to the publicize the um turning you twitter into a utility turning it into uh, the Twitter department of the government. Right. I mean... And that That's not a good scenario. That's not, no, no, that's I, not a solution. No, I, I... Right. I agree with that. I'm just... I'm saying as an, as an individual, I think we should be holding these companies to that standard, not necessarily the government stepping its foot in. But you're right. That I mean, that kind of behavior definitely would lead to something like that but um i don't know that's just something that that i often think about because well you've actually uh you caught me in transition i suppose i am doing my best to 
move my intellectual interests and social interests off of Twitter and okay. Facebook and all of those. I'm, I'm heading to Macedon myself. Uh, <laughs> because I, I mean, that's... That's what we should be doing. We should be voting with our feet in our pocketbook. If we don't like Twitter, how Twitter is being run, we mm -hmm. should go to something else. Now, that's difficult because all the cool people are on Twitter, but <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, that's definitely kind of the, the underlying message of what, what I was trying to say is that we should hold whatever social media platform to um, a, a more freedom-based standard. And obviously, if Twitter isn't going to adhere to that then we should try and move to someplace else that would be able to provide uh, an atmosphere in that nature what um what matt you should call it macedon i haven't heard of that macedon yes it's sort of a uh, twitter uh it's it's a twitter competitor i suppose um i like it so far uh it's one of those mini that came out a few years ago um its biggest feature is that instead of being one big thing, it's lots of little servers that you can uh, get information from outside the server to you, but it gives it more of a, um, more of a, uh, if not populist, then decentralized aspect, because each server is maintained by its own group. So each server can set its own rules for what it wants on there. So it gives you more control in a localized, decentralized aspect of what you see and what you can put. Okay, so I, so I do see how it could be a, a bit more decentralized in the way Twitter is. I definitely like the idea of that. But it, all the decentralization and you know libertarian bells and whistles in the world aren't worth anything if it doesn't actually you know have a lot of people on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I I definitely understand. That's that's really the only reason why I continue to be on Twitter is that there's just not a, another viable option right now. I mean, there's definitely good platforms, but there's not anyone on there and the people on there tend to have similar philosophical beliefs, so I'm not really spreading any type of message because everyone already more or less agrees with what I'm trying to talk about, so right, it's definitely kind of different. Have you? What, what do you think about Gab at all, or like their? Uh, I dissenter? have not. I have not uh, this gone to Gab. I I understand people need a neighborhood, but from what I have seen, people who go to the Gab, that's not the neighborhood for me. Okay, I mean that's that's understandable. They're they're just kind of free. I feel like they're the most popular um, free speech based social platform. So a lot of people that get banned off of Twitter, that's really their their first place to go. And obviously the people that are being banned off of Twitter and stuff right now are a lot of the alt-right types, which... Right. So it's, it's definitely understandable why. I, I really like their... Um, dissenter application that they developed that's like mm -hmm. the browser extension that essentially creates a, a comment section on every part every URL on the internet I think that seems pretty liberating because a lot of times there'll be like a YouTube video where you can't really comment about it or 
an article uh, where you have these journalists that kind of try and run away from criticism so they just kind of say whatever they want and no one can really respond but then it opens up a comment section on on every single part regardless if they have a built-in comment section comment section or not i thought that was a um a very innovative idea i guess hmm. um but that's just that's just one of the things that they do but anyway i one thing i wanted to bring up is that I always see a lot of this infighting within the libertarian movement. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think a lot of it comes from not socialist versus capitalist. I think a lot of it comes from minarchist versus anarchist because a lot of people be like, well, how can you be a minarchist? You know, you're supposed to follow these libertarian principles all the way through mm -hmm. and I think that's how can you main... be an anarchist? We're a libertarian party for politics, politics purposes. That's that's the opposite of that. But yes, yeah, so I I, right. I I can definitely see that. So I think that's where most of it comes from, because I just I always see. Sometimes I see people who are like, oh, okay, there's this you know, filthy socialist authoritarian, and I just, I, that's just not true. I mean, it's just. It's just people disagreeing on what may possibly happen within a stateless society. And I don't see how that would keep people from working together. I mean, it definitely, I mean, we should all work together regardless because we essentially want very similar goals. It's just we think what would arise out of a stateless scenario would just is, be different right. and we we both agree on like the non-aggression principle and everything being voluntary so i don't see any type of hard disagreement at all and i i agree with you which is why one of the things that the libertarian socialist caucus promotes is bottom unity and that's 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 great i definitely like that because especially since top unity seems becoming so popular nowadays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially just because like the libertarian party just has so much under its, under its wing that, mm. you know, you, you look at the debates or just the, um, the convention and it's just all over the place because there's just so many people with so many, differing opinions and everything and i don't know i feel like and there so many different hues together i mean people always uh talk about how libertarian party is a bit too white and i agree with that but what they always fail to mention is we have more blue people in our party than any other major political party in america mm -hmm. have you yeah. seen this uh, phenomenon uh, it, may, it may not be as fashionable now as it was, but I'd say about 10 years ago, uh, colonial silver was very popular among the uh, alternative health libertarians. What? Do you know colonial silver? No, explain that a little bit. Well, it's uh, just uh, 
silver in a liquid form, and people used to drink that because they thought it had all sorts of health benefits. Problem is, if you drink too much silver, you turn blue. You're basically a Smurf. Mm -hmm. So there were more than one blue libertarians out there, which I think is definitely more than the Democrats Republicans had, so that's a feather in our cap. We definitely pursue interesting activities sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're definitely right. Um, so how do you justify... Um, a, a, so I guess since you're a part of the Libertarian Party, you do advocate for achieving a stateless society through political means? No. No, no I do not. No. Okay. As, a, as an anarchist caucus, it's very important to point out, we don't think politics is going to save us. I don't think getting the Libertarian president, if that ever happened, would get us what we wanted. I don't think getting a Libertarian Congress, if that ever happened, would get us what we wanted. Mm -hmm. Our reason for participating in politics is purely outreach and damage control. That's why we participate in the party. We participate in the party for one of the main reasons we have the party is to get our ideas out there. And we participate in the hope that electing or influencing elections will in some way mitigate the harm being done by the state. If we can get a uh, DA to arrest less uh, pot users, that's a good thing. Now, mm -hmm. getting rid of the entire criminal justice system, replacing it with a free market uh, arbitration system, better thing, but mm -hmm. getting rid of uh, quite so many pot convictions, that's a good thing. So we aim for good things, but we're, we try never to be under the delusion that we can aim for the best thing through politics. It's simply not going to happen. Okay, so I guess you have the same view on voting then, more of a damage control than an actual... Harm reduction, yes. Okay. We, we advocate electoral politics and voting purely for harm reduction. Okay. Um, you don't necessarily think that it's kind of... Um... Enabling the system? Yeah. I did think that for the longest time. There was a good 15, 20-year period where I was very much against voting for exactly that reason. Uh, I have recently come to the conclusion that they don't care. <laughs> you could have 90% of the uh, American electorate not vote. And good 50% of those not voting saying voting only encourages them. And the 10% would still vote. And they would still carry on, and they would still employ the police to enforce their decisions. They mm -hmm. don't care if we don't vote. And now, if you want to agitate against the government, hey, I'm all for that. But the not voting thing, I don't think that's it's incredibly effective. It feels good, because A, we get to do something um, rebellious, and B, we get to stay home. That's always the best way of doing something rebellious is not actually doing anything. But I don't think it actually achieves all that much. Whereas voting and participating in electoral politics has the possibility of harm reduction, as I said. And I can take that. I, I definitely understand that position for sure. I guess it, it definitely makes sense. Uh, you might as well do something that could have the possibility of doing some sort of help than nothing at all. But I mean, if you're 
if you're very like vocal about the fact that you're not going to participate, you know, that could possibly help formulate the mindset of other people of, hey, maybe I shouldn't participate because the system is fucked up. Right. And and harm reduction, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but it can mean literally life or death for some people. One of my pet causes is uh, sex work decriminalization because I think it hits upon so many other libertarian positions. Mm-hmm. Now, if we achieved sex work decriminalization, which we might very well do in New York and D.C., that wouldn't solve all the problems. It wouldn't solve all the problems for sex workers. But it would be a good thing. It would mean that fewer people were going to jail, fewer people were dying, fewer people were having their lives ruined. These would all be good things. And I am okay working towards good things with mm-hmm. the knowledge that this is not the way to achieve best things, that other means must be found for achieving the best things. But if I can achieve a few good things, that's good. <laughs> I'm happy with that. So my only issue with voting isn't necessarily enabling the system, but it 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 really depends on who you're voting for. Because if you vote on for a representative that wants to decriminalize um, sex working, but also has a lot of other stances on different principles or policy positions that negatively affect other people, um, then depending on what those policy positions are, like if they still support the criminalization of marijuana or taxes at all, your vote is essentially enabling them to commit that extortion. So I don't think that people that vote for these people are necessarily liable for those extortion and violence threats, but it's definitely, they're definitely supporting it. So if I were to ever vote for someone, they would have to essentially be running as some sort of anarchist because... I would, I I wouldn't be able to do that. I w- I would feel pretty terrible. I understand that, and that's why James Weeks should run for a federal position. <laughs> do you, Do you know Mr. Weeks? Um, I've I've heard of him a couple of times. Okay. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know who he is, he's the uh good friend of mine who uh, stripped off at the last national convention in 2016. Yep. And he is a perennial candidate for a variety of uh, positions. I think he ran for sheriff last time around. Uh, I forget precisely. But, I mean, there are the anarchist candidates out there. Hell, Vermin Supreme is a candidate for Libertarian Party this time around. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, my, vo- my voice for the nominee is going to be either a toss-up with Vermin Supreme or if we can draft Mike Gravel to run as a Libertarian again, I'd vote for him in a heartbeat. So, I... That's... I, since I've started really getting involved into politics and, and really paying attention, it, it really opens my eyes to the way that people interact. And you have a lot of people that seem like they're super principled, but they're really not people who are like super constitutionalist. 
You know, it's like, okay, you know, at least this guy has some sort of principles to sit back on and, and to really push forward. But, you know, even the Constitution doesn't have a solidified set of principles with it. So even that's up to subjective um, behavior. But I just, looking at the way that politics works and everything right now, I, I really wish that people would truly reflect and think about what they are advocating for and really what they are talking about. Because a lot of people just don't really think about some of the things that they that they say or that they advocate for. That's true. And how how would you propose really getting to these people and really getting them to question their core beliefs and really getting in there and, and having them change that the, the root of society that is enabling the state to exist? Well, honestly, I think the best way to do that is sideways. I don't think the best way um, is to go, you're a slave. Stop being a slave. Come, join me in not being a slave. We shall not be slaves together. Ha, ha, ha. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's why I see so many libertarians do. They come at it straight on. But I would think that you find what matters to them. And then finding the libertarian solution to what matters to them. And then proposing that is uh, a good way of convincing people. I mean, like with um, going back to my one well, of my pet causes, sex decriminalization. One of the things is even if sex work itself was decriminalized, the sex workers would still face a whole bunch of hurdles. They'd uh, face increased scrutiny. They would face uh, discrimination from the financial system cops would still hassle them uh so many of them are transgender they would still face official discrimination because of that so many of them are undocumented so many would face uh persecution because of that mm -hmm. so the thing is to truly help sex workers that hits on so many libertarian positions occupational license reform they don't want to make sex work legalized, so you need to have a sex worker license and work in the sex worker district and stuff like that, because that would price so many of them out of participating without the cops hassling them. So you say, yes, I am for sex work decriminalization, and I don't think you should get a sex worker license because I am for occupational license reform. And no, I don't think that your comrades should be deported uh, simply because they're sex workers because I support immigration reform. No, I don't think the cops should um, hassle you because I'm for criminal justice reform. No, I don't think that uh, the, gov uh, the bank should deny you a bank account because I'm for financial reform. All these other things. There are so many ways you can go at it sideways that people, well, he's proposing everything that I need to fix the problems in my life. Maybe this libertarian thing's worth a shot. I don't know if that has a incredible track record, but it seems the best way of going about it that I know of. Makes sense. I I do understand the, the gripe against the um, kind of getting in your face and being like, you're a slave, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, I'm definitely guilty of doing that sometimes. As Not, are we all. As yeah, are we all. <laughs> right. Because, 
I sometimes you know you see some things that happen on television or through the news, and you're just like, shit, man, and you like kind of get really amped up and kind of say some things you not that you disagree with per se, but you're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have come on too strong. But I definitely see what you're saying. Um, there, there's one thing I would caution against, and this is not you. This is not me. This is all of us. We do have a sense of when we say, I'm a libertarian, you should be a libertarian too. And they say, no. There is a almost instinctual reaction among me, among a lot of people of going, huh, they're too dumb to be libertarians. How can I dumb down the message or make it simple enough for them to hear so they will automatically become libertarians? Mm -hmm. we, we always talk about uh, how should we approach it? How should we change our message as if their three-year-olds were trying to get to eat their vegetables. I do think some humility on all of our parts, especially mine, when approaching people would definitely be helpful. Maybe it's, I, they have concerns, they have legitimate concerns that I have not addressed. Maybe what we should all do is go, if this person is not libertarian, what am I doing wrong not in getting the message across but in understanding their concerns mm -hmm. how could i under how can i help them with their concerns with liberty that i think if we approach it like that that would be a we come off as less less like assholes because right. there are so many libertarians out there who do nice people though they are come off as assholes and mm -hmm. if we could if we could stop that that'd be fantastic right i know i i would i'd be happy <laughs> It would definitely remove a lot of the stigma from the movement because a lot of people hear libertarian or anarchist or even socialist and they go, ew. Yeah. And then that, you know, and that removes any type of possibility of convincing them to, to come and acknowledge the principles and, you know, at least try, try to think about them. Um, that, that would definitely really help for sure i uh even even if they have kind of a misconception about the state or some type of principle it would definitely help to maybe not like not dumb it down but explain it in a way that use as useful to them right it needs to be useful to them like put it in a different perspective because there's a lot of times statists or even you know representatives of the state will use certain euphemisms or kind of tiptoe around certain issues or problems and make it sound like it's not as bad as it really is but being able to minimalize it to the core principles and explain something that the state may be doing and an easier way to understand then it really helps people get it into a certain perspective and go oh shit i was advocating for that that mm. definitely makes sense now and i think that there should be a lot of that as well i think that that definitely helps that definitely helped me for sure um but yeah definitely just a thought but yeah I think this was a very productive conversation, not I'm only glad. because 
Yeah, not only because it, it really helped me understand the position a little more, but also it really helped me realize and hopefully people that are listening that there's not there's not a lot of differences between well us. we say this but also we have to acknowledge you i everyone else we're libertarians mm -hmm. you asked one libertarian socialist a member of the caucus caucus what his positions opinions were if mm -hmm. you ask five of the people you're going to get six other opinions <laughs> they I may like not be completely if, <laughs> if those core principles are still grounded in the non-aggression principle and voluntarism it's just different ideas of what would work better or what would uh, more likely naturally arise through a stateless society. I don't see those as disagreements that really hold any type of weight that would cause us to not be able to work together towards this common cause. You know, it's more of just like you said before, like a, a, like a preference type of thing. like. You know, we really like music and we want to promote the idea of music. We just like different types of music. You know what I mean? There is a, a saying that the uh, venom and intensity of infighting in a group is inversely proportionate to the actual importance of the group. People who are actually doing real uh, stuff they get on to real stuff, but um, the faculty meetings of, of feminist art history at Columbia, those are snake pits. And so <laughs> it, it may just be that because libertarians aren't in, aren't, aren't in positions of importance, we do not have the run of society. We are not the ones who ideas are, uh, you know, directly influence policy. That may be why there is so much infighting. Maybe mm -hmm. the cure to infighting is actually to succeed. That might just lead to the less infighting because we'd actually have things to do rather than snipe at each other over what Rothbard said. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, Thank you. I, def I definitely enjoyed. Um, where can uh, people find you or the uh, the caucus online? Uh, you can find the caucus at... Actually, let me just double check on that. You never know when you're going to get a Twitter handle wrong. Uh, sure thing. Yeah. We'll just look up Libertarian Socialist Caucus. That's Libsaw Caucus LP. That's we're on there on Twitter. We're on there on Facebook. Uh, those are really the two best places to find us right now. We're still working on the website, which we seem to be doing perennially. But if you connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, we're definitely there. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I hope we stay in touch. And um, cool. I hope you have a good day. Uh, definitely, I hope you enjoy it. Um, Avengers, thank you. Great, great movie. Loved it. I'm sure you will love it too. <laughs> All right. All right. See you later, man. And that's the reason that I only trust my fam. Forty thousand records sold. Four hundred grand.